This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In this talk, Reggie comments on the esoteric tradition of Buddhist meditation that Chogyam Trumpa taught to his Western students. Reggie describes the terrifying experience of encountering a person who completely embodied empty, open awareness. This talk was given in 2009 at a public program in San Francisco, California. You know, it's a little bit of a confusing situation, uh, frankly, in terms of Tibetan Buddhism altogether. Um, When we talk about Vajrayana Buddhism, which is what I'm talking about, that's my lineage and that's what I teach, um, we have to realize that that's not the same thing as what's taught uh, largely in our world as Tibetan Buddhism. Um, Tibetan Buddhism in our culture, in our modern culture, often involves people giving initiations and giving, you know, giving us mantras and telling us we have to do a certain number of mantras a day, um, going through ceremonies and liturgies and chanting texts. Uh, There is an exoteric Vajrayana or public Vajrayana, and that's more that kind of tradition, and that went on in Tibet also. And that's very valid, but that's not what we're talking about here. When we talk about the redemption of life, when we say that it's through the relative that the ultimate is found, that uh, the sacredness of the relativity of our life, when we talk about that, we're talking about a different kind of Tantra, a different kind of Vajrayana. What is that, and where does it come from? Chogyam Trungpa was uh, one of the early teachers to come to this culture. And at the time, he was a, an interesting but also a frightening person. He had been through a huge uh, cataclysm in his own life. He left Tibet, he went to India, he went from India to England in um, about 1967, I guess, and began teaching Westerners. And as a result of his teaching Westerners, he was thrown out of a monastery that he found, and basically he was stripped of his status as a Tibetan teacher. So his, when he arrived in the States, he went to Montreal uh, with his wife and then came to the States in 1970, And he had just been through this, the fires of hell. And he felt like he'd lost everything. He even had contemplated suicide, strongly contemplated it. And his wife tells a story one night they were in England after he'd been thrown out of a monastery by his his Tibetan friends because he was teaching Westerners the esoteric tradition. He was teaching them the true Dharma. He was teaching them what he knew. He wasn't holding back and giving them these public teachings. He looked at his Western students and he said, you know, I'm not 
a Tibetan, I'm a human. And these Western students of mine are ca fully capable of holding this lineage and of attaining realization themselves in this lifetime. And I'm going to teach them to the full capacity of my ability. And meantime, his friends, you know, his Tibetan friends who were also in the monastery said, you can't do that. Westerners are materialistic. They're not spiritual. They are too screwed up. They're disrespectful. They're neurotic. They're, and they don't understand, you know, the way we do as Tibetans, how you need to be as a human being. And um, it's not right to teach the full tradition. You must just teach the outer thing. You know, give the Abhishekas, let them do their mantras, do rituals with them, give them some, you know, some teachings, but don't give them your heart's blood. It's not appropriate. It's not right. And he said to them, I can't, you know, my teachers, and, you know, he had a different background than the, the other people there at the monastery. He said, my teachers taught me that every human being has the capacity to make the journey, the full journey. And I'm looking at these um, students of mine here in England, and I see that that's true. And it would be a betrayal of my own teachers and a betrayal of this lineage if I didn't teach with an open, completely open hand. And because he said that, he was actually thrown out of the monastery and um, the other, you know, the people there called up the British uh, government and said, you know, Trogyam Trungpa has gone insane, he's mentally disturbed, you know, you have to, uh, you, you can't let him travel, you have to take away his visa. They called up the Tibetan, uh, the Karmapa, and said, you have to strip Trogyam Trungpa, of his, he was a tulku, you have to strip him of his status, um, and actually his seals, you know, which are in a way a sign of empowerment were taken away from him. This was a man when he and, and he and his wife ran for their lives and they got somebody in Cal you know, they had no money, they had nothing. And one night after they had been kicked out, um, he, they had a bottle of sleeping pills and Rinpoche said, it's over, I'm going to kill myself, let's do it. Let's both die. Let's take the pills. I'm ready, I'm out of here. The only reason I'm alive is to teach and if I can't teach, I can't live. There's no other reason for me to be here but to transmit these teachings, you know, these incredibly sacred teachings to other people. And if I'm not going to be allowed to do it, then I'm, I'm dying. And luckily his wife said, no way. We are not going to kill ourselves. And they were um, in a, a sort of uh, flea bag hotel somewhere in England and she opened the window and threw the pills out the window down into the courtyard and, and so he lived they came to the United States first to Montreal and then to um, Vermont and I met him a couple weeks after he arrived and the man was blazing and the man was terrifying when somebody has lost everything something happens in his case you know because of all his training he was, he was, uh, it's hard to say, he was a very gentle man. You know, people hear about him and they think he was kind of, some kind of maniac. You know, some of the stories that circulate. He was very gentle. And the other thing was he was crippled on one side of his body. 
And he, he walked very slowly and kind of lurching, and sometimes it was actually difficult to walk. And he had special shoes made, you know, just to enable him to sort of walk across the room. Um, he walked with a cane, he walked with crutches, and sometimes a wheelchair. So this was um, an interesting person. And at the same time, to be around him was absolutely terrifying. Not just for me, but for other people. And it was terrifying because it was almost as if, you know, I talked about this empty, open field of awareness. With him, it was around him. And whenever you, you know, he would come down um, in Vermont, they had a kind of rundown farmhouse that somebody had donated, and that's where he stayed, you know, in the first period of time. And some of us were there, and he would come down for lunch, and we sat at these, like, picnic tables, you know, with the benches. And he'd come down, sit down, and all of a sudden, you would begin to feel like somebody had ripped off your clothes, and your private parts were being openly displayed on the table. And even that your skin had been ripped off, and all of your neurotic tendencies were being um, exposed. It was embarrassing, it was humiliating, and it was, it was uh, sickening, actually. I mean, people would actually throw up. And uh, it, it, was, it was interesting. And at the same time, you felt like your basic state of being was splayed open, and you began to run into parts of yourself that you had not seen before. And all of a sudden, you began to realize you were growing as a person. So that interesting approach, that's the esoteric tradition where the whole emphasis is on becoming who we are, of unearthing all of the places where we're locked up and all of the places where we are hiding out all of the places where we don't want to face who we are or we don't want to feel things that we're actually feeling and we've kind of walled them off. The esoteric Vajrayana tradition is about unearthing everything that we are and bringing it into awareness. And as we do that, we grow. One example that might be helpful is we have um, so-called intimate relationships. And, you know, people even um, get married. You know, they feel, I'm, this is, like, this relationship is really important, and I want to get married, and I want to continue to deepen, which is wonderful. I mean, you know, the relationships the, that we have are, you know, incredibly important in our life. Friendships and, you know, uh, partners and lovers and, you know, spouses and children. I mean, these are all very, very important. But one interesting thing in this tradition, which we'll talk about a little bit this weekend, is exploring what it really means to be with somebody else. And there's a practice called union practice that's done in Tibetan Tantra. Um, it's done between partners, and uh, really it's done between people who have a, a very, very deep sense of connection and commitment to each other. Because as I'll describe it, you, it's not something you would do with somebody unless that was there. But what you do is you're with each other, and um, you sit facing each other, and you're simply there. And you're not particularly doing anything, you're just there. And what you find out, and this is a meditation practice, what you find out is um, how afraid we are, actually, 
even the person we love most in the world, how afraid we are just to be there and to open. And we begin in, to run into this kaleidoscope of uh, obstacles and obstructions and barriers with the other person. And each person has their own version of that, but we all run into it. And what we begin to realize is that, um, you know, union practice, it's, you know, it's, it's a dimension of what's called consort practice in Vajrayana. Union practice shows us how shut down we are actually in relationship to life and how little we are able to be intimate with our own life. Intimate means can we sit with a friend and be there without a huge barrier? Can we relate to situations without having a lot of barriers? Can we even sit and look at a flower or look at the moon? Can we really feel the wind and what we discover through union practice is that actually we are very locked up and very shut down in our lives. And the purpose of Tibetan Tantra is to begin to identify where we can't open and to begin to work through those barriers and let them go. Often we think of spirituality and our own uh, personality as somehow incompatible. And it is true in the Buddhist traditions that we have heard that somehow the human personality and its unfolding is an aspect of ego. We've heard it. You know, we've heard people say that and sometimes we read it in books. But the teaching of Tibetan Tantra is that the unfolding of the human personality, which is not the ego, is very different from the ego, but the unfolding, the journey of the human personality towards maturation, the opening of the thousand-petal lotus of our state of being, which goes on and on and on, that is spirituality. Spirituality is, is actually becoming fully and completely who we are. It's not something else. There's no discrepancy between life itself fully lived and spirituality, according to Tantra. Chogyam Trungpa used to say that uh, spirituality uh, is sometimes thought of like up there. You know, heaven is up there. Um, in early Indian tradition, that's where the devas are, they're up there. And even in Buddhism, we think that the Buddha fields are up there somewhere. And in Tibetan Tantra, all of reality is down. You have to go down, down, down. You go down in your body and you go down in the earth. You open your awareness deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's where reality is found. That's an iPhone. <laughs> Which is a very um, kind of shocking thing, that we go down. We go down into the darkness of our own state of being. We go down into our body. We go down into the um, locked up parts of our body. We go down into the memories that are trapped there. The subtle feelings that um, are only found in our tissues, in our bones. We go down into the earth, we meet all the memories and all the energy and all the sacredness of the earth, and through the journey downward is where we find our person. It's where we find the life that we need to live. 
And Tibetan Tantra is the unfolding of that life. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet, Cry of the Snow Lion.